0: On the latest episode of Difference Makers, longtime Savannah sports activist Al Kenneckel has taken his talents to South Beach. Okay, it's Harbortown, but that's not too far from Hilton Head Island, South Beach. Kenneckel joins host Adam Van Bremer to discuss chairing the RBC Heritage, golf's past, present, and future in Savannah, and the evolution of our city as a sports town. The Difference Makers podcast is brought to you by an organization making a major difference in our community, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. census account is a small town the leaders in our community have familiar names familiar faces and work for familiar organizations and businesses but do you know why they are difference makers in our community the savannah economic development authority presents the difference makers podcast a program dedicated to highlighting savannah's key players and their contributions to our community difference makers hail from several sectors including commerce government education arts and culture and philanthropy I'm Adam Van Burmer, editorial page editor of Savannah Morning News and savannahnow.com. Thank you for listening. Our latest difference maker is local businessman Al Kennical. He's taken his family's printing business, the Kennical Group, and grown it into a large-scale success. But Kennicle is just as accomplished in his pseudo-leisure time, having helped start the Savannah Sports Council a few decades back, leading the charge to make Savannah home to the liberty-mutual legends of golf for a dozen years, and championing several other events to add to Savannah's vibrancy. Not to mention our tax coffers. He's so respected that the Heritage Classic Foundation tapped him to join their board several years back, and he's the chairman of the 2019 RBC Heritage, a PGA Tour event staged each April at Hilton Head Island's Harbour Town Golf Links. <music> Al Kaneko is with us now, the chairman of the 2019 RBC Heritage. Thank you, Al, for coming in. Uh, let's start where we start all of these difference makers, and that's with a little bit of biographical information. We got plenty of time for golf later, but I know you grew up here locally. You grew up out around Isle of Hope. Can you kind of walk us through what it was like being a, a child growing up in Savannah.
1: Well, I tell you, it was it was really fantastic. Uh, grew up on Isle of Hope. I went to uh, public schools, Isle of Hope, Bartlett, Jenkins High School and uh isle of hope was was really great back in the day uh you know it was the, the rule was the moms would let us kids go anywhere we wanted to go even when we were six years old as long as we didn't leave the island mm-hmm. and uh so you know did a lot of hanging out in boats and and just uh loved the river fishing skiing and stuff so it was it was a great place to be yeah shrimping you know, I didn't do any shrimping because I was probably too young and too little to be throwing the net. That net, huh? But uh, I've, I've done it as an adult, but uh, didn't do it as a kid. Now we did do fishing, but uh, but shrimping was that was for the, the the older guys,
0: right? I think most people best know you around here, other than your business, as being very very involved with sports. What did you do? Did you play everything growing up?
1: Yeah, I wish. I tell you one thing. I wish I'd played as a kid is golf because all my buddies that played golf when they were like. 10 and 12 years old can kill me in the golf course right now but no i grew up like uh like most kids back in the day is i played football basketball and baseball there there was only one soccer team in all of savannah and that was at savannah country day and we were always looking at those guys like who do y'all think you are english or something i mean it was it was such a an outlier no one i mean soccer is so big and so popular now but but no one played soccer back in those days right
0: and the ironic part of that is you would later become involved with rugby, right? So, oh, uh, yeah. So.
1: I, I loved rugby. But I, I I tell you, I played all the sports, but uh, football was, uh, was was my number one thing. And then, uh, you know, unlike uh, – y- there is no playing football unless you make it to the uh, NFL. There's no playing football as an adult. But, but rugby was the closest thing, and I did that for about six seasons, so that was fun. That's closest to it. So,
0: at the same time, your family at your, your – was it your – great grandfather grandfather that started the business so you've been a pretty prominent business family in town
1: yeah my uh my grandfather started the uh it was chemical printing company time he started in 1892 and prior to that he was a typesetter for the savannah newspaper i'm not sure if it was called the savannah morning news or whatever it was but uh he worked there then he went out on his own and uh and uh started a printing business Mm -hmm. and uh he ran that until 1932 during the depression when my father and his twin brother came back from georgia tech and took over Mm -hmm. and then they ran the business until uh, i joined the company in 77 and and uh was able to
0: buy everybody out in 1981 and i've been doing that ever since right the business, of course, has grown exponentially since then, and I know from talking to you before we came on the air that you quoted one experience in particular that kind of helped mold you and form your work ethic, and that was playing football at the Citadel.
1: Yeah, I tell you, it was it was an interesting time. I uh, and and I, I'll tell you, I, every time I speak I speak to a kid who's going to play football in college, I have a long talk with them before they go, explaining how it's not going to be like anything you've ever done before. And nobody ever believes me. And they always come back to me later and say, You were so right. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I signed a football scholarship with the Citadel. And uh, the first year I was there was Bobby Ross's first year as a head coach. And I believe it was Frank Beamer's first year as being a paid assistant coach. Mm-hmm. And Ralph Friedman was also a uh, paid assistant coach. And a guy named Jimmy Laycock, who actually played at William & Mary, but he's been the head coach at William & Mary for like the last 35 years. He was on that staff. And uh, what was interesting to me is that, you know, anybody who's played football, even at the high school level, you go through two-a-days and things like that, and you think, wow, this is really hard. You know, when I uh, showed up there, you know, it's really a business. What happens is people have to understand when you go to play college football, you're, you're playing for people that want to go to the next level. You know, I'm sure Bobby Ross saw himself doing something besides coaching in the Southern Conference, even though we were Division One back in those days. Mm-hmm. And uh, and every coach knows we've got to get the most out of these kids that we can because we want to move up in the food chain. Mm-hmm. So I remember it being at practices the first week, and I'm thinking, nobody can be expected to work this hard at this level of intensity for any period of time. It's just, it can't be done. And then I tell the story that four years later, I realized you could do it every single day for four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know you just have to it was a it was a shock there was no jogging anywhere it was sprint 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 there was everything was full speed and and i lost uh between what was going on with football and just the fact that i'm in the barracks and you know we're actually what what ended up happening it changed this the next year at the citadel because it was causing problems we were always working out so hard that we just kept drinking fluids Mm Mm-hmm and we were drinking so much fluids we couldn't really eat. Mm-hmm. And uh, I lost 32 pounds in three weeks. Wow! And it became a story, because the entire you know most of the freshman class was losing the same kind of weight. And I remember my, my parents came to, to visit uh, after about three weeks, and I told them I would meet them in front of a certain building on campus. Now, I'd also had my head shaved. Hmm. So I saw them standing there, and I walked up, and I just stood there for about a minute or two, didn't say anything, tried not to have eye contact. I just stood there. And finally, after about a couple of minutes, my uh, dad said, oh my gosh. He looked at my mom and goes, that's your son right there. And she was like, oh my gosh, what have they done to you? But you know, but it was it was fine. But but what's really, what really helped me was that, you know, I learned at an early age that you have a lot more in the tank than you think you do. And you know, in anybody that's been in business, sometimes it can be really tough. When business is great it's it's phenomenally fun mm-hmm. when business is bad it's 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 horrific but I was able to uh, I've always been able to work really hard at a very intense level I really learned that from coach Ross and and actually over the years I've he and I've chatted and I've had a chance to run into him in a few places and written him a few letters and I said look coach you know I, I attribute a lot of my success to uh, what you forced me to do back in those days because person's really not going to do that unless they're 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 made to do it and but once you're made to do it and you realize you can do it then you can take that kind of a uh, intensity and work ethic and, and really put it into pretty much anything you do i would say that any of my professors in college or teachers at jenkins would say that that al kenical is certainly overachieved we never saw him uh, having any kind of success because i was a very mediocre student, but but I did learn how to squeeze every ounce of whatever was in me out of me, and that's really helped me out a lot.
0: Talk about getting involved in sports in Savannah. I know that <clears throat> when the Savannah Sports Council started a couple of decades back, <clears throat> you are on the front edge of that. Can you just talk a little bit about that process?
1: Yeah, I tell you, um, I was on the uh, the board of the Chamber of Commerce. I, I had not been chairman of the board or anything yet, but I was just a board member, and I was kind of. You know, I was kind of getting my feet wet into uh, you know doing volunteer type stuff, and the chamber the chamber board was a great great board, a lot of great folks on there. And uh, I think at the time uh, we started as sports council, I was on the board, and I believe Rick Winger was the uh, chairman of the board. And Rick's a great guy. If anybody that knows Rick Winger knows, he's a you know really solid guy, fundamentally sound. And I was working with him on that board, and then he I think moved up to something else and. And they asked me to be the chairman, and I said, "Yeah, I'd love to do it." And uh, and I was working with a guy that's in Savannah. That is, a lot of people don't realize how much this guy's done. That's John Deloach. Mm-hmm. John Deloach was the executive director, and uh, John had a lot of great ideas. It was John's idea to start the hockey tournament. Mm-hmm. I was the chairman, but it was his idea, and I said, "Yeah, let's do it." But John came up with that, and then uh, working with John, uh, the, the the Savannah Bridge Run was actually being operated by the uh, Scottish Rite. And they were having like 150 runners whenever they run the race. It was very non-event. But the Chamber of Commerce actually had had the DOT uh, certificate to run it. They just opted to let somebody else do it. Mm-hmm. And it, back then, I was doing a lot of running. So I'd go run the Cooper River Bridge Run and stuff like that. And I said, you know, we could really do some stuff here. So we went in and we, we took that back over. And then we started really marketing that, and, uh, you know, that's turned into a big deal. Because I tell you, it didn't take a rocket scientist to understand that everybody wanted to run bridges. And I said, we got a great bridge here, so why aren't we doing that? But the mission of the Sports Council is to create economic impact through sports. And I'll give you an example. Here's here's the kind of thing we would do that would have huge, would be huge. If you had a big softball tournament, if you had a lot of teams – It'll say you brought in, you know, 40 teams, you're looking at a lot of hotel rooms. And what we would try to do is we would measure uh, the success of, of the economic in, impact by the number of room nights that were that were sold. Mm-hmm. So that was big. We had a deal one time, it was uh, like a cheerleading competition. And that generated huge amounts of revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we were always looking for those types of things. And then we were thinking, okay, what else can we do that could what what can we do? How far can we reach? And at the time, uh, I was I'm in the printing business, obviously, and, and one of my clients was the Heritage, and you know I've been working with those guys. I do the pairing sheets and everything else that you know happens over there. And Steve Wilmot was the tournament director, and Steve's a really he's a great tournament director. But he's also a really great friend of mine. And I approached Steve and I said, Steve, if we were able to get a champions tour event here, and it was enough months separated from uh when the heritage is would your staff be able to run it and of course i'm thinking this gives them another revenue chain and it gives us a staff that knows what they're doing we also thought okay this makes us we can say to the tour we got a staff ready to go mm-hmm. and uh, he said let me check so he, he made a call and i happened to be over there like a couple days later he goes al you gotta listen to this, this voicemail i got it was a guy from the tour saying hey let's have that meeting we'd love to talk to savannah and uh, so we we got together and we we came up with with an idea and we 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 actually got a deal where we had a sponsor Mm -hmm. and we had uh, an event and we were on the calendar and once the tour puts you on the calendar you know that means you're there that's that's a big deal but what ends up happening is our sponsor changed their mind so the deal was off Mm -hmm. but we during this during this process we had met a bunch of people at the tour and you know, I think they were pretty impressed with the team we had here in Savannah. And then we had a lucky break. Uh, Liberty Mutual says to the tour, hey, we, we've been in the same place where I guess they were in Austin. or, or
0: I, I think St. Augustine. St.
1: Augustine. Okay. But they had been in a few different places, and they said, look, we want to find another place. And they said, what we're going to do is we want to find a place for next year. We're going to try four different places over the next four years and then see which one we want to make the permanent home. So they, the tour set up a deal where all the folks from Liberty Mutual flew into Savannah. And what they were, what they were interested in, and here's what people need to understand about golf tournaments. Uh, when the sponsor does this, they're looking to entertain very important clients. Well, they VIPs, yeah. And, and, and that's a much bigger part of a golf tournament than a lot of people realize. Most people think that the exposure is just having your name on the tournament that's on TV. Yeah. But that's really not how it works. And they said, look, we want to know how we can entertain our clients in Savannah, Georgia. And, you know, Savannah, we're, we're a town that knows how to have a good time. And we have a lot of great venues. So we bring them in and we put on a real dog and pony show. We're, we're showing them all these different venues and things like that. And we had a, a lunch set up where we set up a tent in Washington square and it was in the springtime. And I will tell you that, that mother nature accord, uh worked with us on this because we had zero gnats we were concerned everything could be perfect but they could sit down to eat lunch and be sworn by gnats and go we're not staying in this place
0: mm-hmm.
1: but they they came we had a great day uh they loved the place they then they informed us in the tour that they were going to be in savannah next year but they wanted to sign a four-year deal so we signed a four-year deal and uh we were off to the races yeah, it turned into an eight-year deal it turned into, into like, i guess it was 10, two,
0: into 12 years 10 or 12 that's by the time it was done it yeah it a was long, here for a long time, a long time
1: yeah. and you know what it, it would still be here except that what happens in these companies is the guy that was the chairman and ceo for all those years was really big into golf he loved it and liberty mutual was the longest term Sponsor on the PGA Tour, including the PGA and the Champions Tour, they had like 36 years or something like that of, of, of being a sponsor. Yeah. New guy comes in, and he decides they they want to go bigger,
0: yeah, like the Olympics and or something, right? What it was yeah. it was it was the World Cup. World Cup.
1: They said we're going to not going to invest in golf, but we're going to be all about the World Cup, mm-hmm. and uh, so they put a ton of money into that, and they said we're really out of the golf game and we tried to find another sponsor but but I tell you here's something that another thing people need to understand about what we were doing here in Savannah with Liberty Mutual and also the Heritage almost all the golf tournaments you see are in the hometown of the sponsor yeah so that has a dramatically big impact on on their cost mm. because it it with with the Heritage and also with Liberty Mutual Liberty Mutual had to fly all of their staff into Savannah now they're most everybody's flying; their customers in from all over the place, but right. but they had to put up. You know, you have to put your staff up in hotel rooms for long periods of time. Uh, you got to get them all here, so your costs are significantly higher. Right. Same thing with the Heritage, which is, you know, what what a great event that is. But you know, they had one year without us without a sponsor. Yes, did. because it's it's harder to it's harder to do, and uh, so we lost Liberty, and you know, we, we tried to come up with another sponsor and. We just couldn't find one. We we, we we were we were dating a few, but we couldn't close the deal.
0: Yeah. And the PGA Tour owned the event, right? Yes. So they were willing to move it wherever they needed to 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 secure sponsorship, and they did eventually to Missouri, right?
1: Yeah, you know, right. but it, it's 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 significantly smaller event than when Liberty had it. Mm. It's I think Bass Pro Shop does it, and I, I think, think they yes, play. Right? I think one of the rounds is played on a eighteen hole par, par three three course. course yeah. 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 <laughs> It's unique, that's for sure. You know, let me let me say, well, you know, so here I've been involved with the Heritage and Liberty Mutual. There's a big difference between those two tournaments because when we were owned by the PGA Tour, mm-hmm. we were locked into contracts. Right. Meaning, I can I can look at a golf tournament on TV and just look at and just see what the what the venue looks like as far as the hospitality stuff, and I can tell if it's owned by the tour or not. Mm-hmm because the tour has certain contracts with certain people and you have to do you have to work with those even with uh like with the uh, caterers the you know mark spadoni had to really at the west yeah right. you know he was part he had a hard time they didn't want him to even be able to cater his own facility but he he made it he got he made that deal happen for him but nobody else could do that so if we didn't like to cater it we you know we didn't and it was expensive there's nothing we can do about Tough it. Tough luck, yeah. You know what's great about the heritage is that's owned by the Heritage Classic Foundation mm-hmm. and you know they can do what they want to do yeah. and it's you know working on both sides of it I much prefer it being owned by the by the, the Classic Foundation board as opposed to tour. You got much more flexibility.
0: That's right. I want to come back a little bit later to talk more about the legends and the impact in golf and Savannah. But let's go ahead and, and, and keep rolling forward as the, the legends leaves town. You re well, maybe not reestablish your relationship with the heritage, but how did you end up on the heritage board?
1: You know, I tell you, it's uh, uh, before the Liberty Mutual Legends of golf, I mean, I, we, we did a lot of business on Hilton Head, still do. So I had a ton of customers over there. So we would rent a house at the heritage for uh, many, many years. And uh, I'd entertain clients. I'd take my family over there, and we'd have a great time, and I, and I loved it. When the legends came along, I just couldn't do it because, you know, who can afford to – you know, I was out not working for a whole week, and I couldn't take two weeks two off. Two weeks off in a row. Yeah, so I really couldn't do anything with the Heritage. You know, when that finally ended, I have said, well, you know what? We had a really great run here with Liberty Mutual in Savannah, but I'm going to just go back and start hanging out over there. Now, I was always doing business with those guys, and, they were, and Steve Wilmot's been a, you know, a great friend of mine forever. And then about three years ago, um, I get a call from Steve, and he says, Hey, Al, I got a, I got a question for you. He says, uh, I want you to think about it, and, you know, you can take your time answering. In fact, you can get back to me next week, but we'd like you to be on the Heritage Classic Foundation board. I said, Well, Steve, do you mind if I answer right this very second? He says, No, don't go. No, don't mind. I said, Yeah, I'd love it. I'd be honored. And I really was honored to be on that board and i think what they wanted to do is i think what the what the heritage would like to do is bring more of savannah folks in you know the, the legends was gone you had a market that had been going to golf you know let's get somebody that's that's in savannah that can maybe help us with savannah and uh and somebody that's you know been around and and i knew i knew you know once again i've known steve forever i knew simon frazier pretty well and and i knew a lot of those guys and they said okay let's let's do a savannah guy so I think I'm the. I I, I may be wrong on this, but I know I'm the only non-South Carolinian on the board. I I may be the only non-South Carolinian that's ever been on the board. I I, I don't know that for a fact because I've never asked that question. But you know, I uh, I know that that's all we have is South Carolina guys and me. But uh,
0: how is that? Is there some good natured ribbing that goes on because of that?
1: (laughs) You know, let me tell you what's what's interesting about it. So many folks are on that board that are not from South Carolina, but they live there so they don't really have that i gotta tell you i've been on a lot of boards this board has really the some of the sharpest people we've got guys that were that that had unbelievable positions in fortune 500 companies uh you know stan smith is on the board and you know tennis tennis yep. and of course you know of course stan wrote a book something that says like i'm not just a shoe a lot of people don't realize that Stan Smith has sold more shoes than Michael Jordan ever sold. In fact, Stan, the Stan Smith shoe is the number one selling shoe in the history of the world. And uh, But there are a great bunch of folks on that board. And Chuck Taylor's not
0: on the board, too. No, we don't have Chuck. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but, uh, you know, it's, it's it's a great bunch of folks. And, and, and I tell you, there's a real strong sense of community on Hilton Head. Oh. I mean, you, you, if you if you don't know it, i mean those people that have moved in there have worked so hard to uh make it a great place to live and, and everybody there has given back and then the, you get the harris class foundation board you know we've given millions and millions of dollars uh to charities over the years and you know lots of, of scholar, uh, college scholarships i mean the, the impact they've had has been phenomenal so but it's 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 I, i'm honored to be on the same board with these folks i i enjoy them every time i see them and and it's been a lot of fun.
0: It's interesting you mention that because when Verizon and all the predecessors to Verizon, MCI Verizon, MCI, WorldCom, whatever you want to call it, when they finally decided that, that they were done with the Heritage and the Heritage all of a sudden did have a sponsor to see that. And that's a small community. Yeah, It's grown a lot since then. That's how rapidly that area is growing. But at that time, it was still very much a small community. And to see them rally around and keep a PGA Tour event. And I know that I know from knowing Steve Wilmot, not as well as you do, but but knowing Steve Wilmot, that was that was a very very stressful time over there. Oh, and no question. It was a lot of concerns that they weren't going to be able to keep it. But as soon as they really reached out and asked, it seemed like the whole community responded. And you hey, correct me, you, you know it a lot more than I do. I think that really impressed RBC and Boeing. Yeah, and got them to come on as sponsors.
1: Well, it, it what it told you is that the community is all in on this thing, yeah. and. Uh, and they were. I mean, you had you had the Chamber of Commerce of Hilton Head jumping in. You had the City of Hilton Head. You had the State of of South Carolina. You had a lot of folks that were uh, you know really jumping on board to, to really make things happen. So, yeah, I, I think it showed everybody that this 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 is a community that loves this event, cares about it, and it also it, it goes to show how important it's been not only for just economic impact, which is huge, but just what they do as far as scholarships and. And, and, you know, giving back, you know, giving money to local charities.
0: The day we post this podcast, we're going to be right on the eve of, of Heritage Week. It's the Friday of Master's Week, and that means that come Monday, come three days from, from now, Heritage starts, and I think your chairmanship really, you kind of take the center stage as a chairman with a pretty big event. Can you talk about the cannon fire?
1: Yeah, I tell you, it's it's a great event. First of all, it's it's there's a lot of really cool things that happen. It's it's it starts out as a parade. You you we all get to go to Harbortown, and it's not a very long parade, but it's a parade, and it ends up at the 18th green, and it's led by the Citadel Bagpipe Band, and they've been doing it for somewhere I read they've been doing it ever since the very first event. I, I don't know if that's the case or not, but they lead us. We we go to the 18th green. You usually have few thousand people there it's pretty big mm-hmm. and and then it really it's it's the, the the really the main part of the event is that the uh, champion will hit a golf ball into calabogie sound while a cannon fires mm-hmm. but you know you really you get there and you have the i'm the MC of that event so there's a, a number of people we have to thank that deserve great thanks the sponsors get to speak and you know it's 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 sort of it's a really great kickoff and then We'll see if the, if the guy can handle the uh, the cannon fire. I, I'm going to say one of my comments is going to be uh, when he gets up there. And actually, I wish I had a phonetic spelling of his name in front of me right now. But this gentleman from Japan. But I'm I'm going to oh, say, boy. Yeah. I'm going to say to him, hey, you know, if you can if you can hit this golf ball when the cannon fires, I don't think you're going to have any problem with uh, a few camera clicks or some change in the pocket.
0: No, no, it's funny. One of my duties back in the day when I was a sports writer was I was always the one that got tasked to head over to Hilton Head because a lot of our other people were coming back from Augusta. Right. So I would go over and cover that event. And it was always interesting to see the different approaches or philosophies the defending champion took. Do they try to hit ahead of the cannon? Do they try to hit after the cannon? And of course, they're using a a golf club that's Probably seventy five, eighty years old. Well, it's
1: a, it's an old wooden club, and they're also hitting a, a ball that's not a real golf ball either. It's a it's a golf ball from the dark ages. Right, right. and uh, we say he hits in the Calabogie Sound, but we're actually, really hitting it into the marsh, just right yeah. off the 18th. So or, you can't
0: hit it very far, or dribbling it just a just a yeah. Few, but I've a lot seen a jump when the I've guzzle. seen the picture
1: of uh, Nick Faldo. That was the funniest one when he swings, he winds up standing on on one leg. <laughs> <laughs> just Scared to death, but so I, I have to warn people when they when this cannon goes off, it's not a very big cannon, it's but wild. it is loud and you can feel it, you know, reverberating in your chest. I mean, it's a it's something, but but we make sure that the all the guys we say, look, you know, put in these earplugs, right? And I think in the past, maybe some guys said, not only the earplugs, now we say, no, no, you, you do need the earplugs. Trust me, we've seen guys do it without earplugs, and it, it's not a pretty sight,
0: of course. Interesting this year is is the backdrop to that you're going to have the Harbortown Lighthouse and yep. the Harbortown Lighthouse for about a year now has had a special decoration and has been wrapped in plaid. Of course, the heritage, the champion of the heritage, gets a tartan or a plaid jacket, like a green jacket that they give at the Masters, and so that whole tartan is what all of the the folks on the foundation and and on the board wear. It's the it's the official uniform i guess yes to say and the lighthouse wears a same uniform or at least has going back to last year which was the 50th anniversary and it was your company that was in charge of installing that on the lighthouse can you kind of fill us in on what that process yeah
1: you know this is a pretty good story because uh when 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 i was approached to do it i thought wow you know we can pull this off because no one's no one that i know has ever wrapped a lighthouse before you know, it required us to print over a half a mile of vinyl.
0: You are used to wrapping cars and
1: cars and trucks and stuff like that. We do murals in the airport, things like that. But wrapping a lighthouse—a nine-story lighthouse—and mm-hmm. uh, I thought, wow, this is—if we can pull this off, it's going to be quite a story. But if we don't pull it off and we mess it up, it's going to be quite a story too. <laughs> and I may have to move away. Right. But uh, but I really—I thought, wow, this is such a cool idea. I got to make sure this happens. So I approached. Our good friends, Orifol, which is—you'll see them on uh, I-16 if you're heading out of Savannah, going to the west. Here on the right side of the road, uh, we buy all of our materials from those guys for the vehicles we wrap. And I approached them. It's I said, like "Vinyl, right? It's, it's vinyl. Yeah. It's yeah, it's adhesive vinyl." And I said, "Guys, I said, would you consider donating all of this, but then using this project as a marketing tool?" And they said, "Yeah." So they donated a tremendous amount of vinyl, and that made this lighthouse project doable. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so it, they did that, and we printed it. And then we, it, I would have to ask my, my team that, that worked on that how many hours of planning was involved. But we were over there four or five times measuring every inch of that place, measuring it from inside the lighthouse, measuring the outside, try to get all the dimensions perfect. And it ended up being about over 100 panels and each panel had to be marked where the top was, where the bottom. You know, we had to go out and test different materials to see what was, which ones were going to be the best. You had to determine how big was the plaid going to be. And, in fact, we blow it up. If you got right up on that lighthouse, you'd say it looks very blurry. Mm-hmm. But if it's like this. If you got right up on a billboard, yeah. it's, you, it yeah. would be unbelievably blurry. Yeah. But blurry looks good from far away. Mm-hmm. Blurry doesn't look good from, you know, close up. And uh, so, and if you don't make it, if you make it too sharp, it doesn't look good from, from a distance. But uh, so we we did a lot of testing, and then when time came to put it up, and I was there nonstop. It took us four days, and uh, I wanted to see the first panel go up. Then I wanted to see the second panel go up to make sure that it matched up right. right. Because when you have a plaid pattern, it's got to match all the way around. You can't. It just. It was. It's a lot trickier than what it looked like. And, and our team could do everything except for the part that, that the top of the lighthouse where it, it kind of goes out. I thought, you know, even though everybody's latched into a, into a lift and it's, you're safe, you know, I was thinking I wouldn't want to be leaning back doing something like that. So we brought in some guys that had done some football stadiums and stuff like that to do some of the more difficult stuff. But, you know, and I kept waiting for somebody from the heritage to come down and tell me how good it looked. And we're, here we are at Wednesday, and it, nobody had come to see say anything yet i was getting a little nervous but then i found out they loved it but i I tell you one thing we did do that was kind of cool and uh if if anybody is what you can do is go to youtube and type in rapping or the harbortown lighthouse we did a time-lapse video of us doing it and it's narrated Mm -hmm. and uh if you watch that video it's really kind of cool so go to youtube and check that out it was pretty good but here's a here's a funny story about that lighthouse I'm sitting around when this thing is is done I'm thinking what a phenomenal idea. So I ask uh the folks at, at the heritage I said whose idea was it? And they go, "Well, I don't know. It just seemed like it came out of a meeting, but there is nobody over there that will say it was my idea." Claim it. No, they they really I don't I don't they don't really know how it happened. I've said, "Well, if nobody claims it, can I say it was
0: my idea?" You should, yeah.
1: But I, I tell you where I think it got its start. I believe that many, many years ago they were trying to get Phil Mickelson to come over, and remember, his wife had had breast cancer, mm-hmm. and I think he suggested would they take the red stripes and make them pink,
0: uh, okay.
1: in you know in, for for breast cancer, okay. and and somewhere along the line that had been thrown around somewhere, and and maybe that's where the idea came from. But but still, nobody knows nobody will say it was my idea but hey whoever did it it was great
0: well, i'm gonna credit it to you
1: well thank you in fact everybody was my idea don't listen to anybody else it was me
0: <laughs> i understand it's coming down though it's been up there a year it's coming down after the tournament this year
1: yeah we were supposed to take it down right after the tournament but uh everybody loved it the tournament last year last yeah after last year's tournament everybody loved it uh the people in, in the harbor town we were putting it up when they were they were watching us they were loving it. Uh, and when it got up, you just look at it and honestly, it really looks good. I mean it, it in my opinion looks better than the red stripes, but the red stripes have been there for fifty years. You know, so that's really what the lighthouse is. It's red, not plaid. But they they loved it and they wanted to keep it up. But what they had to do was before they could determine they could keep it up, they had they contacted sixty different people that were having destination weddings in Harbortown. It's a huge destination destination wedding place. And they said Hey, the lighthouse is going to be plaid and white, not red and white. Is that? Are you okay with that? And and they said it's going, only time it's going to be that way. So you know, if you're if it's in your picture, it's be, you can say well, it was the only time it was ever that way. And everybody said they were okay with it. And when they signed off on it, uh, they said let's leave it up. And you know, credit C Pines for that too, because you know, people that are getting having a wedding over there. I mean, it's a special, obviously a very special time for a lot of people. And they understood that, and they really wanted to make sure it was okay. So good for them that, that they did that.
0: That yeah, speaks to the way they serve their customers. Oh, yeah.
1: Sea Pines does a phenomenal job. But, but we are going to take it down. Uh, we're probably going to take it down the last week of uh, April, the first week of May.
0: We'll turn our attention back to this side of the Savannah River and talk Savannah sports here in a moment. But first, some words about the Savannah Economic Development Authority. When it comes to difference makers in our area, the team at CETA is pushing to make Savannah a great place to work and to live. CETA is committed to creating, growing, and attracting jobs and investment in the Savannah region. Whether you're a business looking to relocate to the Savannah region or an existing business ready to grow and expand, CETA is the centrifuge of a propeller making the connections, helping propel the business to success. Learn more about the Savannah Economic Development Authority and what they do in the Savannah community by visiting CETA.org. That's CETA.org. I want to spend the balance of our time back on this side of the river. And talking about golf, obviously you were you were intimately involved with the Legends. I know that you have family that's involved with the new web.com tour, which just had their second consecutive year of of success out at the landings club and sports in savannah it seems like it's it's growing all the time rock and roll marathon very successful year that's a big one where from your perspective and i know that you're not as involved as you once were but from your perspective where are we going where are we now and what's the outlook for the future
1: you know i tell you i'll say this i think one of the impacts from the liberty mutual legends of golf was that you know, we had we had always been a, a minor league town in that we had minor league baseball, and you, you know, you go out and watch baseball, and it was great baseball. Mm-hmm. And you had guys like Dale Murphy that went on to become famous that, that played there, but you didn't know you didn't know who the players were. You know, we brought the Liberty Mutual Legends out here, and you had Arnold Palmer play it. You we've had Jack Nicklaus play it. Then you had guys like Tom Watson every single year. I mean, you had a lot of who's who's, and I think that we we're saying, you know what, this is we've we've really got big-name folks out here. And I think it kind of set the bar that, you know, we can we can really do some things in this town. And it wouldn't shock me if if the Champions Tour doesn't come back at some point. And I say that because the tour loved it here. The uh, sponsor loved it here. The players loved it here. The only reason it ended is as the sponsors changed, changed management and got out of golf. But there was not – of those three parties, everybody loved it. Uh, you know, I, I went to the web.com event and I've been to it both, both years. And my nephew, Trip Kenner, who was on the, is, is on the sports council. He had a big role in that as well. And, you know, he was telling me today, we had a little, how to go kind of thing. And everybody felt like it was a huge success. And, uh, and I think every time you have an event that's successful, people start looking and start noticing. And, uh, you know, so where that leads with golf, we'll just have to see. But, um, uh, but I think, you know, we've got a great infrastructure, like you mentioned, the Rock and Roll Marathon. That's a big deal. Uh, that really brings in a lot of folks. And, you know, economic impact is huge on these things. I mean, there's a lot of people. When you come to Savannah for that, you know, you're going to stay in the hotels for several days. And, you know, you're gonna, it's going to be – it's a big deal. You know, I'll say this, too. One of the, one of the events that, that really had a huge economic impact that most people didn't understand was the, the St. Patrick's Day Rugby Tournament. Because if you brought in, uh, you know whatever it was, sixty teams, no, you're looking at at about, uh, you know probably a a group of twenty to thirty people per team, and and these rugby players are you know they're older folks, a lot of them are you know that have pretty good disposable incomes, and when they come to Savannah, they're going to make it a, they're going to stay for a while.
0: Yeah, and they're going to have a good time.
1: They're going to have a good time. They're going to they're going to eat in nice restaurants. They're going to they're going to stay in nice hotels, and that. I, I I know that I can't remember when it was but maybe a few years back somebody was telling me that that was sports wise maybe right before the legend, legends came to town that that was the, the number one uh, you know economic driver of all the sports events in town. Yeah. So you know it, it's, there's two ways to look at sports. You can look at what do I want to go see and what helps the businesses in the town the most. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean when you you may not be a rugby fan, but trust me, that's helping a lot of small business out. Uh, you may like love the golf, and, and that's, that's one of those deals where you get a lot of fans out there. That, But a lot of the other events, the, uh, the sporting events, are really, it's all about who's participating. Yeah. Like the Rock and Roll Marathon. Yeah. You know, fans don't come to town to, to watch it, but you got a lot of folks that come to town to, to run it. So there's a lot you can do, and, and as far as what ends up happening in the future – You know, I mean, hockey turned out to be a great thing for Savannah. 20 years now, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, there's – and that's a fun event. And I I, I think that that event will be here for a long time because everybody just loves it. Uh, It's just hard to say what will happen. But I'll say this. You know, you had my my group that was around. We did Liberty Liberty Mutual. You've got the new sports council folks around. They brought in the Rock and Roll Marathon and the web.com. You know, there's a lot of talent in this town, a lot of talented people. And, you know, they're working, coming up with ideas, making things happen. So sky's the limit. Nothing, I'll say this, nothing will surprise me.
0: What does a new arena mean? You know, that's,
1: that's. I will tell you that the the arena discussion came after my involvement with the chamber and things like that. You know, when I look at the arena, I think, okay, well, if it's going to be a venue that that can, like, have, you know, a lot of people for basketball, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe what you can have is you can have, like, a, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of conferences that would think if, that if you're going to go on the road someplace, right. You know, go someplace where the fans all want to go. So you could have some, maybe some, some you know, conference championships. You could probably do a lot of things in basketball. You know, h- hockey, here's the thing about hockey that, that was kind of interesting to me. When I was approached by a lot of people, when we had the hockey tournament going, there was uh, things, the, t- the topic of bringing in you know, maybe minor league hockey savannah people love going to the uh the hockey classic but any hockey person will tell you it's got terrible sight lines for hockey Mm -hmm. that arena is not built for hockey
0: yeah and that uh, mezzanine you can't see the goal underneath you
1: yeah so it's it's it was just not right and then people said well why don't they will they build a new arena for for hockey i said no they're not going to do that (laughs) i had some people that were really huge hockey fans that thought well just build a new arena i said that it really doesn't work like that (laughs) You know, so I, I would hope that the new arena hopefully is is maybe – I hope they're thinking in terms of sight lines for things like hockey because, you know, hockey is a, a sport that is growing. And, uh, you know, it's, it's it's much more popular in the South because you have so many folks that have moved from the North to the South. And then you get out there and you watch a hockey game, and you go, you know what, this is kind of cool to watch. I, I, I will tell you that, that I've really enjoyed watching it in person. I, I'm not enough of a fan to where I could sit down and watch it on television – and really appreciate what I'm watching but in 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 person it's great so we'll see what happens I I, I, hope, I hope that they've, they've thought that through I'm sure they have
0: I'm sure they have the last question I have for you is you mentioned this being at one point a minor league sports town I think we've seen with uh, the hockey classic we've seen with the legends and now I think we're seeing it with the savannah bananas that oh,
1: wow if, what a story
0: if the product is good and it's less is more right it's more appointment television instead of 70 dates a year you've got 30 that it can be supported in this town was it do you think that was always there and it's just bubbled up to the surface or do you think that's something as this community has evolved that has evolved with it
1: you know i think one of the most really interesting business slash sports stories that i've seen in this town for many many years is the savannah bananas i mean i will tell you that when i heard. They were, this league was going to come here. I thought, well, you know, good luck. You know, I, I didn't really think they. would – I thought it would be, you know, stadium would be, you know, one quarter filled and
0: It'd be like the Nats. Yeah, you
1: know, it was going Different. to be like everything else. And uh, but these guys had a, had a you know really quite a vision and you know, a great great business plan. And uh, you know, I mean, I, I got to tell you, I love going to those games. In fact, I'm on the waiting list for for tickets for box seats. And if anybody from the Bananas is listening, I'd really like to get those tickets. Uh-huh. But I've got friends that have them, and every time I have a friend that's got box seats that's that is not going to go that day, I go.
0: He's them.
1: And 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 I had a Savannah Bananas player live in my house last year. Okay. And we had, there was a pitcher from the Citadel, and um, so he's he stayed with us. But uh, but what a what a great story that is. And I guess what it tells you is this. If you put on a good product, you bring something, you make it entertaining, the people will come because that, that's, that is a – I mean, it's, just a, it's a great sports story, but it's a great business story.
0: Yeah. Well, this community is very thankful for you and your efforts along those lines all these years, and I appreciate you coming in to be our Difference Maker this week.
1: Well, you know, I tell you, I've, I've lived in this town my entire life, love this town. Uh, I've enjoyed seeing it go from what it was back in the 60s and 70s to just a, a jewel Heart, it's glad to be a part of it, and it's you know it's it's a winner. Glad to be a part of a winner. Yeah. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you, Al. Let me thank our guest, 2019 RBC Heritage Chairman Al Kennical, also our presenting sponsor, the Savannah Economic Development Authority, a difference-making group in our community. Listen to new and archived episodes of Difference Makers wherever you listen to podcasts. Including Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and Spotify. Recent programs have featured the Savannah Music Festival's David Pratt and Service Brewing Company co-founder Kevin Ryan. Difference Makers is a production of the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com. And for a limited time, podcast listeners can take advantage of a special digital subscription offer. Get the first month free and pay just seven ninety nine a month after that. Visit SavannahNow.com/slash/digital-only offer now at SavannahNow.com/slash/digital-only offer. Thank you for listening. ¡Gracias!